We were studying the 42nd, 43rd, and the 44th sloka of the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita. We will have a very quick recapitulation of these slokas where we find that the selfish action motivated by a desire for enjoyment of happiness, as has been described in the Karmakanda of the Vedas, has been condemned. So, what are the slokas? Yami maam ushvitam vachan pravadantya vipaschitaha veda vada rataha partha nanyat asti iti vadinaha kamatmanam swarga param janma karma falapradam kriya vishesha bahulam bhogeshwariya gatim prati. Bhogeshwarya Prasaktanam Tayaparita Chetasam Vyavasayat Mikavuddhi Samadhu Na Vidhiyate. So we will start with the 44th sloka, the last sloka, and then we will proceed to the 42nd and the 43rd to have a continuation of the idea that how the three slokas is actually speaking of a particular type of uh, concept as per the Karmakanda of the Vedas, the concept. So the 44th sloka, Bhogeshwariya Prasaktana Taya Aparita, Taya Aparita Chetasam, Taya Aparita Chetasam, Vyavasayat Mikavutti Samadhu Na Vidhiyate. So no resolute and unwavering thought is formed in the minds. It's Vyavasayatmika Buddhi and Samadho is both are negative. You will never get a resolute thought what to speak of Samadhi. It's only when we are focused, then we can think of its ultimate culmination in Samadhi. And now if your mind is always wavering, how can you think of Samadhi? So this too, this Samadhi and Vyavyasayatika Buddhi is not possible. For whom? For those who are extremely attached, inordinately attached to Bhoga and Aishwarya. The pleasure and the Aishwarya speaks of wealth of power. So for the pleasure, we need wealth and power. It's this wealth and power in turn results in Bhoga. So for the bhoga, I need the wealth, the power. So and I'm so attached to this that my mind is always wavering. 
I need wealth, I need power, I need position in life. Why? Because with that, I enjoy the life. And that is constantly uh, breaking my mind into thousands of thoughts. That's why my chitta is aparita. It has been as if stolen away. The aparita means to steal. My, my, all my thoughts, my heart has been stolen away by these thousands of thoughts. And how it happens, how it is accelerated. Now we go at the 42nd sloka. Yami maam pushpitam vacham pravadanti avipaschitaha veda vadarata partha nanyat asti iti vadina. So there are people who will be speaking flowery words, pushpitam vacham, the flowery words. They're the unwise ones. What this we speak of, they have a very myopic vision, short-sighted vision. Yes, with the actions, we do get result. But is that result going to stay forever? That immediate, uh, what you say, the results which follows from the actions makes us so much infatuated that we get totally uh, narrowed down, our vision gets totally narrowed down with what we have achieved for the time being. And we think we are at the top of the world. We forget that this is something which is very, very transitory, momentary. It will go away. Nothing will last. And I will be a, just a wreck after some time. I will find that all the things which I thought is going to be with me forever is gone. So that speaks of short-sightedness. So that's why it is avipaschita, the word avipaschita. Those who are unwise, those who have very myopic, short-sighted vision, they do not see the far-fetched goals. So they speak all these flowery words. And with this, they're constantly fooling the world. They're fooling themselves, they're fooling the world. And it is very easy to fool others. When you yourself and we ourselves have lost the vision of the truth, and we also are being disturbed by thousands of desires, then we fall easy prey of all those flowering words, the world of advertisement. That's what we find. So that's what the Karmakanda of the Veda speaks of. Veda Vada Rata Partha Nanyat Asti Itivadina. This is the be all and end all of existence. With your endeavor, develop some skills, develop some, have some academic qualification, have some skills, and you enjoy the world. Know the way to run a business, a corporate in the corporate world, and that's the be all and end all. Beyond that, there is nothing. That's what non-near And most of us get hoodwinked by this type of philosophy, this idea. And then the next, the 43rd Lord, what is speaking? Kamatmanam Swargapara Janma Karma Falapradam Kriya Vishesha Bahulam Bhogeshwarya Latinkati. Now, that type of belief now determines our way of life. That it is full of desires, and we look upon heaven. That heaven need not be after death, even here in this life. A good standard of living, 
that is as equivalent to the heaven. So that's the goal of life. All my desires is meant for that because that's the be all and end all of my existence. Kamatmana swarga para janma karma phalaprada. That with all my good qualities, good qualifications, I will enjoy this life. And again, I will be born in some rich family in the next life to continue with my enjoyment in this world. Because we believe, as a Hindus, we believe in this reincarnation. So with all my these good qualities, again, I'm going to get a good birth and I will enjoy. And that's the beyond and end all of existence. Nothing beyond that. Even if some heaven is there, there I exist with my individual identity to enjoy the results of my actions. So that results in Kriya Vishesha Bhagavan. I can never sit quietly, one after the other, some engagement I need. Constantly we need some engagement. And with that engagement, we keep our busy while there's thousands of desires are lurking in my mind. Nothing can just make us just sit quietly. So we are always in the doing mode, not in the being mode. These are the words which we use nowadays. We are constantly doing this Kriya Vishesha Vavla. We are in the doing mode, not in the being mode. Center spirituality is actually to transform our life from this doing mode to the being mode. Just be. The present In the present world, we find that as we don't, many, the majority doesn't believe in God. So we find that the world of spirituality has its own way to accommodate with the existing way of living. So they come down. Okay, you don't believe in God? Well, but won't you agree that to be in the present entails happiness? So just see the language has changed. Be in the present. We previously used to say that resign everything. The once you have a sense of surrender, you are bound to be in the present. That what is going to happen in the future, I'm not thinking. I've resigned. Whatever I have done for that, I'm not thinking. God is taking care of me. Whatever I have done, good or bad. I have now resigned myself to the divine. So past, I did not bother about. Future, I did not bother about. Because he is the one who is holding me. The idea was, again, to be at peace with yourself. That being, to be in the being mode. And when you say, I don't believe in God. But after all, we may believe in God or we may not believe in God. But is there a full, a single fool in this world who say, I don't want happiness? So if there is a common goal for the entire humanity is happiness. And that's why we say Buddha was the most rational avatars among all the spiritual teachers. He never resorted to any belief. Just what you feel. That we feel the suffering in the life. That, that's why the first Arya Satya was there is Dukkha. The sense of dissatisfaction. And what's the cause? Tanha, the second Arya Satya, the second Noble truth. What's that? The tanha, the, our desire to cling to the things of the world which is constantly flowing. You cannot cling to the thing which is flowing. That is the cause of dukkha. Then is it a statement of fact? Is there no way out? That we are being born with that desire to cling to the things which are flowing and so we are bound to suffer? Is that the be all and end all of our existence? The third speaks of the hope. No, there's a way out. It's just a disease. When you go to the doctor and say, is this disease having a cure? 
Is it our life to stay with it? The doctor gives the hope, no, there is a cure. The third Arya Satya is that, that there is a way out. And the fourth is the prescription that the Ashtamarga is speaking of. But again, if you go to that elaborate Ashtamarga, it speaks of to be with yourself at peace, being, not in doing more. That speaks of the Kriya Vishesha Bahula. That's constantly tormenting us. We are always in the doing more. We never can think of sitting quietly and allow the life to flow on and enjoy the present moment. In default, you will find that throughout our life, the present was always okay. There was as such nothing to concern me when I'm at present. All my concerns and worries are always with the future. I never enjoy the present where by default I as such have no such anxiety, no, no reason for anxiety or tension. But I just invite the, all those thoughts and imaginations to rule over me and unnecessarily go on bothering. I think what will happen to me after a few years and when I am already, I have reached that state, I feel everything is okay, the life still goes on. That it of course has its own periods of anxieties and tensions. But what we do, when it has passed, we just go on brooding over it or again go on anticipating. We are never at present as a being more. And that's all these anxieties results in Kriya. Vishesha Bahura. We are always in that get set more uh, because of all the desires. I want this, I want that. We are never at, at, at peace with ourselves. So these are the three slokas which we were studying in details. Now, the next sloka, which we started in the previous class, which we will deal with elaborately in this class, it speaks of the limitation of the Karmakanda from the psychological point of view and what's the way out. So let us go to that sloka and we will try to discuss on it. Traigunya Vishaya Veda Nistraigunyo Bhavarjuna Nirdvando Nitya Satyastho Nir Yoga Kshema Atmava Traigunya Vishaya Veda The entire Veda deals with the three gunas. Three guna, Traigunya Vishaya. The Vishaya, the subject matter. Vishaya means the subject matter of all the Vedas is three guna, the three gunas, sattva, raja, tam. We will try to understand what it really means. It's uh, for us, we are so familiar with the, these words of the scriptures, we repeat without trying to understand what it means. If I now say that what it means, that the entire Veda is nothing but the three gunas, for most of us, it will make no sense. But what it is speaking of? The Sattva, Raja, Tama, these are the three gunas, which what speaks of the entire Vedas. We will come to the discussion. And now he's saying, Arjuna, that this is the beauty of the Hindu religion. What's the beauty? That all religions say the scripture is the ultimate. Just have belief in the words of the scripture and lead your life as per the belief. Here we find again and again, it's being asked, the scriptures are there. Following the scripture, there is a type of dharma you are following. 
That's not bad. But you have to transcend that. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, it is good to be born in a church. It is horrible to die there. By church, he doesn't mean a particular denomination. Any religious organization, be it a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian or any denomination. The church means that organized religion. It's okay to be born there, to start your spiritual journey with all those do's and don'ts by conforming your life to the commandments. But if you die there, it is horrible. You have to transcend that. You have to transcend the three gunas. What it means actually? Does it mean that I won't have to follow uh, the dictums of the three gunas? And what the three gunas mean, of course, will come later. Let us try to understand it is not speaking of transgression. There are two words in English. One is transgression, another is transcendence. Here it is speaking of transcendence, not transgression. When Bhagavan is saying that Nistrei Gunya Bhavarjuna is not speaking to transgress what has been written in the Vedas. He's speaking of transcending, go above them. That example which we give again and again, that all the discipline, rules, regulation by which a student is bound in a residential school, the punctual routine he has to follow, is for those students who has not developed the liking for studies. The one who has developed the liking for studies, it's not that he's not following the routine, but that even if the routine is not there, he will continue with his studies. That routine in no way is going to affect his academic progress. So that's what has happened, that his liking for the study has enabled him to transcend the routine, transcend the punctual routine, but not transgress, he's not transgressing. So he, that even if the rules are there or not, he has developed that liking for the studies, he will continue with that. The rules as such have no meaning in his life. So here also when Bhagavan is saying, Bhagavan is saying that Nistraigunya Bhavarjan is not saying in the sense of transgressing. And here, because of the shallow understanding, we will find we are hoodwinked by so many so-called self-styled spiritual gurus who say that, that don't imitate me, don't follow me, that what I am doing. Because I have transcended the three gunas. In the life of Sri Ramakrishna, we find there was one sadhu staying nearby at Dakshineshwar. And he got involved in some unethical actions. Ramakrishna one day met him and reprimanded him. You are a sadhu. You have renounced your home to live a very pure life. How come you are getting involved in all those things? And the sadhu replied that Jagat to me heine. This world is not there. It was not there in the past. It is not there in the present, which is not going to be the future. It's just a mere superimposition of that absolute reality. So he's speaking of the profound truth. Jagat me heine. Then is my acts, then all these unethical things which you are speaking of, are they true? The world is not true. They're also not true. Ramakrishna immediately got enraged. He told, I spit on your Vedanta. If this is what is your understanding of your Vedanta, I spit on it. So this is the shallow understanding. 
जगत तो तीन काल में है ही नहीं टू अंडरस्टैंड दैट फर्स्ट यू हैव टू बी इक्विपॉइज गो टू स्टेट ऑफ रियलाइजेशन इट्स नॉट ए सिंपली मियर वर्ड्स इट हैज टू बी रियलाइज एंड वेन यू रियलाइज दैट your already the way of life which has already been purified by a restrained way of living that has become your spontaneous a habitual way of life now how can you think of transgressing that it cannot be that because that is the habitual way of life so there is no question of transgression so if you have already realized it has happened when your present state of existence or every cyclic existence has already been converted into every sahitika you are now a man of resolute focus that takes you to the realization when you come back your mind has already been purified you have already been transformed now there is no question of transgression but at the same time the rules and regulations which you were following till you went to the realization they have now become your habit it is not that you have to now consciously follow them as sri ramakrishna used to say जे नाचते जाने तार बेचाले पाप पावेगा so half of our mind most of this is in instructing the students but with the least amount of focus on the music her steps are just following in the rhythm because that has become spontaneous so it is not that that she needs the music uh, to hear to that music to always be in rhythm it is as it is re spontaneity that even if the music is not there she will not be beyond the rhythm even in music it happens when we are we are when we just learn you know that the a harmonium is required to tune your voice with the exact uh, tune which you are playing once you become adept even without the harmonium you will find that your voice is not going beyond the uh, tune or the scale in which you are supposed to sing because you become an adept singer so the same thing here happens when you have already been established in the religion your total character has been overhauled transformed so there is no question of transgression so these are the things which we should be very very aware of otherwise we also will be hoodwinked many are there they say that veda vedanta doesn't speak of morality they don't understand that in what sense it has been spoken of is nistray gunya it's not transgression it is transcending we will come that what it is speaking of in details we free from this nirdwandva there is the word which is being used in the next line that is nirdwandya nitya satvastha nir yoga kshema atmava go beyond the dualness dualities be established in sattva become vishuddha sattva and near yoga kshema atmavar yoga is not used in the spiritual sense here in this word the word yoga means union in the spiritual sense when i get atma gets united with the paramatma that's the yoga which we speak of 
When I get identified with myself, that is again the union that speaks of yoga. But any union is yoga. So when as an ordinary person, I have a sensate person of the sensate world, a, any being of the sensate world who has thousands of desires, the moment a desire arises in my mind, the object of desire is something which I have to get. Whether it may be some relation, wealth, power, and position, I have to achieve. The moment you achieve, there's a union between you and your object of desire. So that is yoga. So here the word yoga is used in that sense. And kshema, kshema means preservation. That when I have achieved something, again the concern is there. I may lose it. I have wealth, it may be gone. The prestige, the power, the position, it may be gone. It may all be. I may lose everything. My relations, the of my own, the one whom I love, the relations may break off. Someone may die. Anything may happen. So this, then again, the next, our next one, first endeavor is to get uh, the object of desire and the second to preserve the object of desire. So this means yoga kshema. So in our worldly sense, we our all our endeavors are motivated by yoga and kshema. So here Bhagavan is saying the moment you get established in yourself, you go beyond the three gunas, you go beyond the dualities, and you, uh, what you say that uh, you, all your attempt, all your desires motivated by attain something and to preserve something, that simply lets, that they simply let go of that, that falls off. So what now this sloka actually means? Though we have an inkling of it, let us try to understand from the psychological point of view, what this three guna means. We ourselves generally don't have a very clear idea of the three guna. We say that the world is nothing but three guna. What is that? Sattva means equanimity, Rajas means activity, Tamas means uh, inertia. Activity, inertia, and Sattva means equanimity, tranquility, balance, so if you say the world is nothing but activity, inertia, and the balance between the two, yes, from the physical point of view, it do make a sense. The world that any, anything is either in a state of rest or in a state of motion. Like when I'm driving my car, at the beginning, I have to accelerate it. I have to start the engine, accelerate, because it was in tamas. Now, it, when I'm accelerating, it is rajas. After it has gathered the speed, now, I leave my, uh, this, uh, this, I, my, I don't press the accelerator, neither I press the brake. The car is moving in its own speed. It has gathered the speed. And now it's as if in a balanced state. Neither it is in tamas state, nor I have to exert. It is moving without acceleration, without my leg in the accelerator. Because of the friction, gradually it will slow down. But for the some time, the balance is there. That is equanimity. The earth is moving around the sun for ages. Again, that speaks of the balance, equanimity, that, that it was projected out of the sun, all the planets came of the sun. In such a, in such a speed that, now, uh, that we got at a distance in such a way that the gravitation is neither pulling it back to the sun, nor the earth was projected with a 
speed which which enabled it to just go out of its uh, gravitational field it is just revolving and as there is no friction it goes on revolving for ages as if that is also in a state of subthor no it is not in thermostat nor it is really doing something to move it's going on so with this physical idea we can say that entire world is nothing but subthor rajatam in that physical sense it's true now when you say the weathers are nothing but the satvarajatam now again we will start yes the world is that uh, physically it is satvarajatam physically we understand when i say the weathers are the nothing but the three guna vishaya but to relate this idea with this physical way of understanding it will make it difficult so we have to take the idea of satvarajatam from the psychological point of view to understand very in short let us try to understand what it speaks of that when we are born as swami vivekananda in one of his lectures is indicating we are we are not born with a vacant mind but most of us have an idea that child's mind is vacant just the way a pot is empty and to fill it i need to pour some water or something from another pot into it so the child's mind is like an empty pot and our minds are having lots of informations that has to be poured in the child's mind so that's a very crude way of understanding it's not the fact the child's mind is not a empty pot it is filled with all the informations it has to be stimulated by the external stimuli and then the lot of for the child's mind it's a real hodgepodge there so many constantly learning and unlearning is going on they say the mind is wiring up again it is uh, just the wires are getting disconnected because something it learns and it finds it is not going to be accepted and again has to relearn unlearn and relearn that's how the child when is growing up the entire mind of the child is working that way so many thing it does immediately the parents come and just warns don't do this don't do that and this the way it is learning and unlearning but the basic thing for a particular stimuli a particular response that was always there the mind already had so many informations it was there packed with there so that's the state of the mind is called tamas that mind with all the ideas when it is lying dormant as in deep sleep in deep sleep our mind is not vacant all the ideas are there lying in deep In in dormant state, that is the state of tamas. What is it? Sattva. When I wake up, when I see the red flower, the red flower is there. That all the this red color, the smell, the touch, the texture, everything acts as a stimuli to invigorate the all those dormant ideas. There are innumerable ideas. all those concepts which are specific for this flower they get illuminated you see the flower they get illuminated in your mind those ideas which were dormant they gets illuminated and even have the perception so this illumination is the sattva sattva is illumination so the tamas through the perception when you wake up see the flower it's the it's the same tamas which is getting converted into sattva now it doesn't stop there immediately as per your temperament behavior inclination 
so many things may happen. You may feel, let the flower be there. It's like if you are one who loves gardening, the gardener will never like someone to pluck the flower. That's why in our ashrams, there's always a fight between the guard, the one who looks after the garden and one who is the pujari, that does the puja. Pujari needs the flower every day for his puja. And the, the gardener, the one who is looking after the garden, he wants the flower to be in the garden. So it's a big challenge. That's, so that's why sometimes uh, the pujari himself is made the gardener. So that now let him decide what he has to do. The idea is as per your temperament, you may think, let it be there. Or I will pluck it and offer it to the divine. Or if I am, I like the flower to be in my house, but I don't want to offer it in uh, to the divine. Just in the dining table, I want to make a vase and keep it. So as per your temperament, the rajas now comes into picture. Once the flower has been illumined, which was in your mind, it, it is not something outside. The outside is just a stimuli. Your mind has been activated with an idea of the flower. And now you move out as per your temperament to react to it. Now, is our world anything apart from this? What's the difference between a stone, an inanimate object, and me? That I respond to the stimuli, nothing else. It is not responding to the stimuli, it is in just state of tamas. I respond to the stimuli. And the moment you respond to the stimuli, immediately there's a mutation of the three gunas. Now, if you read the scriptures, we will find with this explanation, everything is fitting in. They say that gunas are constantly mutating. So you will find this constant is mutating. Sattva is illumination, as well as equanimity. Rajas is action. Why sattva is equanimity? When the perception is happening, when the moment you have seen the flower, and you are not reacting to it, you can simply sit and enjoy. There's no, without reaction, when sattva by any perception by itself, unless if the rajas comes into picture, can give you a sense of bliss. You're looking at the mountains, just enjoying it. Looking at the ocean, just enjoying it. You'll find whenever only the perception is there, which in, in no way enters in rajas, any reaction, it gives a bliss. So that's why the sattva is called equanimity. It's the illumination. The illumination by itself, unless or unwit, unwit, mutates into rajas, it gives a bliss. It's in the state of equanimity. You're not reacting to it. You're not uh, responding to it through some actions. So you're just in that state. So sattva is equanimity, it is illumination. And if you read to the scriptures thoroughly, you will find what all that all our jnanendriyas, the organs of perception are pure sattva. Even the mind is not pure sattva. Organs of uh, perception, like with the eyes, can you do any action? No, you can just see perception. That's why it's pure sattva. With your ears, can you do any action? No. That's with pure sattva. So when you are tasting, that's the same tongue I'm using for speaking. But as per the taste is concerned, again, it's pure sattva. It cannot do any action. The, or the skin, with the skin, can you do any action? No. Again, it's just the touch is perceived. So all the illumination happens with these organs of perception. So that's why they are vishuddha sattva. Organs of action are Vishuddha Rajas because you cannot perceive through the hands or your feet. Only action is possible. So there Vishuddha Rajas, these organs of uh, perception are Vishuddha Sattva. And uh, mind is a mixture of all the three. 
So now you just say everything is fit in. When you take all the ideas of Saptarajas Tamas in the scriptures together, just one idea if you take activity, uh, equipoise, inertia, you won't get the overall the real idea of what Saptarajas Tamas means. Take all the ideas and try to have an overall comprehension of it, then you will find it is actually speaking of the way any living being, starting from a microbe to the human being, is interacting with the world through the stimuli response conditioning. So the world is nothing but these three, sattva, raja, tam. So now when they say the entire Veda is traigunya vishaya Veda. So we are responding to the world as per our illumination in three ways, either through raga, attachment, or through dvesha and avinivesha. And we told, because of ajnana, because of in this, in the Yoga Sutra, it is there that there are five causes of affliction. What are they? So there, there are panchaklesha, the five afflictions. There are avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, avinivesha. Avidya, it speaks of that I am the conscious principle. It is in the being mode. It was, it is, it will be. But the moment it gets localized, reflected in the psychophysical existence, it that I am the eternal being, that ego now comes from this body-mind complex and it gets befooled by the ego and things. It is a body-mind complex which is saying, I am eternal. You get identified with the body-mind complex. And now, at each and every step of life, you will find that the body-mind is not eternal. Someone is saying you're eternal, but it is not eternal. A little, uh, what do you say, that uh, nutrition will help it to survive, a little toxic will kill it. So we are always, from a micro till the human being, what we are doing, as per the stimuli, either we are responding it through attachment, the things which is favorable for my existence, I get attached to them, which gives pleasure, I get attached to them, which is going to harm me, destroy me, I run away from them, or I hate them. So this speaks of Raga, Dvesha, Avinivesha. For entire life, what we are doing, the entire process of evolution, what we were doing, we are doing nothing, but we are constantly equipping ourselves more and more how to get attached to the things which are desired and to avoid the things which are not desired for my limited state of existence. All my academic education, all the skills which I have developed is actually what? It is nothing but skilled response to the challenges of life here and hereafter. How you respond to the challenges of life. That why should I go through that process of education? Because I am developing the skill to respond to the challenges of life. What are the challenges? That I have to procure food to sustain myself. I have to uh, have a son and the next generation that through procreation so that the lineage is continued. So these are the basic things. These are the, and to respond to that, all the skills we are developing, nothing else. So all our education, all our academic education, all the skills which we are developing is nothing but the skill response to the challenges of life, to the stimuli of life. Now the karma kind of the Vedas, it is also something which is just like our present day academic education or some skill-based education which you are trying to develop. 
Is it anything apart from that? By doing a yajna in a particular way, you enjoy the heaven. So it is that to do that particular yajna in a particular way, you have to develop some skills. So it is a skill response to the challenges of the life here and hereafter. That's what the entire karmakanda of the Vedas speaks of. So that's why the first idea, the Trayunya Vishaya Veda, the entire Veda deals with nothing but these three gunas, Sattva Rajatama, how to develop the skill response to the challenges of life. That's what it is. Now he's saying that, now Bhavan is saying that go beyond that. Nistraigunya Bhavarjuna. So we were Nistraigunya as the self. When the ignorance didn't come in, we were just what we were. Go again back to that state. So we, through the because of ignorance, we are going through the process of this biological evolution, where we are constantly being befooled by the idea that as a body, one today or tomorrow I will become eternal, as a psychophysical existence the entire. You just see the this present world with all its development, what it is trying, that how to increase, how to enhance the lifespan, how to live a better uh, life without physical elements, and how to how to intensify our pleasures of life. Is there anything apart from that we are thinking of? That's the entire endeavor going on. Go beyond that. Again, because of ignorance, all this has started. It's quite okay as long as we are in the ignorance. So it is entire, now how to go beyond that? Again, to get established in the being mode, to go beyond the doing mode. So that's the thing by, which is being indicated by the word So the entire creation is a constant mutation of the three humans. As the creation, for a stone there is no creation, it doesn't know, it, it is not aware of its own existence, neither it is aware of the entire world. For a stone, the creation is not there. Why a stone exists? Because I say it is existent. The stone itself doesn't know, even the sun doesn't know, most probably, it doesn't know it exists. It is I who say the sun exists, it is in my certificate, that gives existence to the sun. So all the question of Vedas, Vedanta, everything come, when life comes into being, now the integration is there. What is there when I am not there? No one can say. There's a very interesting in, uh, conversation between Einstein and Rabindranath Tagore. Rabindranath Tagore, being from the, uh, this Vedanta's, Vedas background, he had the idea that when, as long as we perceive the world is, if I'm not perceiving, the world is not. So even Einstein was baffled with that type of idea. He pointed to a statue and said, if I am not here, you are not here, no one is observing it. Doesn't it still exist? Rabindranath said no. And this is the thing which baffled with him. But in the modern science, they do say, as long as there is an observer, the probability collapses into reality. Then the reality comes into existence without any observation. No creation is there. Just to give an example, when I say a flower is red, that redness is produced by the, by my mind. The flower itself is not red. All the attributes which, with which I describe the flower, that is, is red, it has a nice smell, 
it has such a smooth texture all these attributes only explain the flower and all those attributes are something which is projected by the mind that even in, in the product from the modern neurological point of view every they will agree now what actually it is there the flower i am describing it with all the attributes which are the projection of the mind but what actually is there no one can say so there without the asserts that existence is the only thing that is there all other things are attributes now you understand that it exists it is if the red flower was not there then you would have been a mere imagination there is a subtle difference between buddhism and vedanta buddhism says the entire world is a this subjective idealism it's mere imagination vedanta says no it's not mere imagination something is there but i can never know it because the moment i try to know it with my senses it is the senses which is projecting the color the size the scent and enveloping it to give me a sensation that these attributes belong to that but they are all projection of the mind but can you deny that something is there something is there it is not nothing on which is not mere pure imagination in sanskrit these words are important alika and asatya it is not alika it is not pure imagination but it is asatya it is not the way you are seeing it is maya the word maya means ya means yathayatha as it is maya is a negation it is not what you see there is something but it is not what you see so this entire stimuli response condition comes from the maya the moment i now respond to it either through raga dvesha ivinivesha and then all the skilled responses i develop that speaks of all my knowledge pi nistraigunya why nistraigunya as a human being we have that capacity to go to that realization that it is because of ignorance the entire evolution has happened i am already that what i am searching for that as they give the example of the deer with the mask on its navel running around to find the source of that fragrance wonderful fragrance in the process sometimes it gets exhausted and it dies because out of ignorance it doesn't know the fragrance the source of fragrance is in is is in him in his body in its in, in itself so similarly we are in such of the eternal existence which is already within me the core of my being is already that by hearing the echo coming from the body mind complex i was befooled and was trying to search the eternity in something which is not eternal and that resulted in the entire evolution come out of it there is no need for this chase after this hallucination you are just chasing something which the chasing something which you have hallucinated can you ever get it if i hallucinate something and just try to get it chase after it can ever so we are chasing after a hallucination stop it be in the being mode go back suggest to be in the being mode by stopping to continue in the doing mode is to become nistraigunya but again there is a doubt what is the doubt that am i to become something like a stone or something like a, a veggie which doesn't respond if you take a cabbage and just insert a knife to it doesn't react though it's life but still it is in a very very basic in a very uh, basic form of life though it reacts in different ways but not to the knife it may be reacting to the microbes by trying to 
just save itself from the decay. So we find that it will be a cabbage, though it decays, for some time it will be okay, fresh. After that, so it is fighting. Some response is there. But outwardly, when I put a line, there is no reaction. So am I to regress back to become like a stone or like a veggie when it has been spoken of as Nistraigunya? So no, this I have to stop the mutation of the three gunas. What's the cause of my suffering? My reactions are the cause of the suffering. The world is as it is. The moment I react, the way I react, that causes the suffering. You will find when Brahma created this world, these are Purana stories are also very interesting. Shiva was not satisfied. He saw everywhere death, death, disease, decay. He went and questioned Brahma that your creation is imperfect. What is what the creation you have done? And Brahma's reply was something which is significant, which made Shiva to go into deep meditation. The reply, what's the reply? The creation is not imperfect. Creation is as it is. How you react to that creation, that gives you a sense of imperfection. It is the reaction. And that thing immediately, Shiva, that he immediately realized. And that made him go into deep meditation. In the deep meditation, when he's, he went beyond the mind, the creation as if vanished. Nothing was there. You go beyond your mind. There's no question of interacting with the senses. So in that ultimate realization, two things happen. You are beyond all the perceptions. You've gone beyond the perceptions. Sattva is also not there. But if the perceptions are not there at present, I think that I am no more there. But the Vedanta asserts, you are there. That amnes no one can take away. And that amnes you realize is non-local. As you will find that when Narain for the first time went to Nirvikalpa Samadhi, he's coming back. The first words he shouted was, where is my hand? Where is my feet? He was, he is still there. He's, he is aware of his amnes. But it has somehow become non-local. It's not only Narendrana. If you in Buddhism, if you read the life of Buddha, there also, when he went to the realization, he felt his head is touching the Himalayas, his feet is touching the ocean, his hands are spreading out to just uh, what you say, that envelope the entire creation. It again gives a sense of non-locality. The amnes becomes non-local and the world vanishes. And so that's the thing here, that you're still there. You're still that amnes, but it has become non-local. So you go to that realization. So uh, through uh, this, we, we established in what? That's in sattva. Why is sattva? The sattva speaks of illumination. You're still having that illumination, that of your amnes. But that amnes has nothing to react to. The entire creation has as it fallen off because you realize when you go to that realization that it is you alone who is being projected as the universe by coming through the mind and senses. The pure amnes when percolates through the mind and senses and tries to just uh, find out what is there, sees this creation. So go and stay in that state. That's the idea of it by saying nitya sattvastha. The nitya sattvastha is very important. That I am not to become something like a veggie. When we say that you become nistraigunya, am I to regress and become like a stone or a veggie which doesn't react? No. 
So spirituality is not anesthesia. It's not that I don't respond to the stimuli by becoming inert. I actually become highly alert, but detached. Knowing my real nature, I don't react to it. The entire yoga shastra is that Shiva's coming back. That you know what he was saying. Let me forward. That when why we just use the word hara hara vyom vyom. When Shiva went to that realization, the entire creation has fallen off. When we say Shiva is the god of destruction, destruction doesn't mean that he is the cruel one there to destroy the world. We all can destroy the creation the moment we go into that state of nirvikalpa samadhi. Creation is no more there for you. That is the hara hara. That everything has been hara means taken away. All vyoma vyoma means only space. I exist in that infinite space. So vyoma hara hara, and that's what made him dance in ecstasy. That's what we find the description of Shiva. This dancing in ecstasy, saying hara hara vyoma. That's the highest realization. Taking him there. From there, when he, from where when he's established in that state, that is the state of nitya sattvas. When you alone are there, nothing is there. How you can react? There is nothing. Question of reaction comes when there is something apart from you. The question of fear comes when there is something apart of you. That's why Vedanta says that this realization makes us fearless. If you know that you alone exist, then what to fear? Fear comes only from the reason we are afraid when we are alone. It is the fear comes because I am alone with my limited existence where I think someone else may intrude and harm me. It may not be a physical existence. It may be death. That which will end up my this limited existence. It is all this sense of limitation. It is a sense of someone else apart from me. That's the cause of fear. And you know you are alone. Which is and that which pervades the entire creation, which is non-local and which is always there. It was, it is, it will be. The fear falls off. There is no question of fear. And when there is no fear, there is no question of reaction. You are just as you are. So when Krishna says that we can distraigunya, immediately that there may be some misunderstanding. He may, that as if God is saying to something else, become something like inert. No. Be extremely alert by identifying yourself with your real nature and don't react to the stimulus of the world. That is the nistraigunya of Arjuna. And when you become nistraigunya, then the question of nirdvanta comes. If I am the self, then why to react to the opposite polarities of a little more heat makes me re react how I can just uh, have that uh, what's the comfort of pleasurable weather, little cold little more cold, again I react to it. It is these reactions which has made us this develop, develop all the technologies of air conditioning, coolers and everything. Why? Because we are not nidwanda. We are constantly reacting to the dualities because we think we are this limited existence. So nidwanda means not reacting to the opposite polarity, polarities of life, like happiness and sorrow, hot, heat and cold, that, that sloka will come, that uh, the matra sparsha is already started. But go beyond these dualities. That's once you become nitya sattasta, the question of this need dwanda comes and need yoga shame. The same thing. The moment you are established in yourself, the question this constant chase for this 
world of this projection i will be chasing the mirage to have it if i am thirsty and i see a huge reservoir in the desert i will be chasing it till i realize it's a mirage it's a question of yoga and kshema to converge the thing if you know it is something which is imagine is a projection is not real why will you think of getting it and preserving it the question falls off so that it becomes need yoga kshema why because you are atmavan you are establishing yourself being nitya sattvastha you have become atmavan you are always established in the self so the question all the dwandas fall off and all the chase for the illusory desires which ultimately is all illusion that falls off so now you will understand how nicely the entire the, with the help of our own psychology we can understand what a wonderful shloka is this which bhagwan is saying that let us read the shloka once more what is the shloka is saying raigunya vishaya veda nistrai gunya bhavarjuna nirdvandva nitya sattvastha need yoga kshema atmava by being established in the self and how it is possible by nitya sattvastha by not reacting to the stimulus of the world by constantly being alert of your existence stay there and then the world cannot disturb you it doesn't mean to be in meditation even when i am working i am taking care of my responsibilities i can still have the idea of nitya sattvastha if the body is reacting as per the stimulus it's not me as for some higher purpose of life this body mind complex has been kept in a particular situations it has to go through all the activity it is going what all this body mind complex has to do with this world it is doing but the real me which is behind that is detached so you may be extremely active but still you are equipoised to see action in inaction the slokas will come this is gita if you try to understand its true perspective bhagwan will say the one who is the who is realized so who sees action in inaction action in inaction inaction in action this slokas will come so how is it possible when we read this sloka still that misunderstanding the chance of misunderstanding is there oh bhagwan is saying just to see it and meditate on your own self not to react to the world don't resist anything and be in bliss till the body falls off so that will be the limited idea so that's why god has to go after sloka after sloka so that all the chances of misunderstanding is taken care of so it's when we say that you are atmavan nitya satyastha immediately the question of e, that question comes that most probably you have to be inactive no it's a question of realization that the body mind as per the ways of the nature it is working it is that we are neither to seek nor avoid it has been kept in a particular situation of life it is taking care of all the responsibilities without any expectation without uh, uh, seeking after the result without any expectation it is going on i am the one who is enjoying the bliss sitting behind just seeing the panorama just the way when i watch the movie be it a tragic scene or be it a joyous scene i enjoy both because i know it's a projection i paid the money to enjoy that even the uh, tragedy i enjoy it because i know it's a projection i'm sitting and witnessing it so even witness what's going on within this body mind complex 
The purpose of the self to find expression for this body-mind complex is that to enjoy. The ignorance has made us forget that and we get identified and we suffer. The two sisters were watching the movie. The elder sister was crying, seeing some tragic sin. Immediately the younger sister explained, why are you crying? Are you fool? Those who have acted, they will act and they will be paid for that, get the money and go and you are crying. They will be paid for what they are doing and they are quite happy with that and it's you who are crying. Why are you crying? The actors will just act and get the money and go. Why are you crying? So be the witness. The moment you get identified, we start wailing, weeping and all this comes to the question. So let the play go on. Be the witness. Be, don't be in the street. Don't be along with the street. Just come out of the street and enjoy the flow. So that's the idea behind this local. So the 46, what's the result when you get established in it? That it's not to become something inert. You, in, you there's tremendous bliss and shoes. Ananda Swarupata, which is the, one of the aspects of that non-local amnes. You immediately get established. It's always there. Somehow, because of our ignorance, it has got filtered out. It is there. You're filtering out because of our ignorance. Once the filtering factor is removed, that bliss will be welling up from within. Then I won't need any small desires to chase. I, I won't need to chase after the small desires of life. Because I, I, I know that I'm already that bliss itself. Somehow that bliss got obliterated because of my ignorance. That's the idea which will be spoken of in the next slogan. So this slogan, if you understand the slogan in the proper perspective, there is no chance of getting the wrong notions that scriptures, scriptures anywhere you find that the Vedanta speaks of regression as in going back to the state of stone. No, it speaks of illumination from where you are uh, externally, it's been appearing like inert, but in the inwardly you are in tremendous bliss. That's why Swamiji always used to say, opposite poles look alike. You cannot see the ultraviolet light you cannot see the infrared light. But the infrared light is too weak. I cannot see my uh, vision, cannot see the infrared, but I cannot see the ultraviolet. The ultraviolet can burn my skin. I cannot see it. It's the cause of the skin cancer. I cannot see it. Infrared light is also same. I cannot see it. But are they same? One is a higher, is above my uh, vision. This is also below my vision. So both are invisible. I cannot hear very low frequency sound, less than 20 hertz I cannot hear. I cannot hear supersonic sound, which is above 20,000 hertz. Again, the same thing, that I cannot hear it, but if, if a supersonic plane is not supposed to go over any residential area, because you won't hear any sound, but suddenly you will find all your glass windows are vibrating, they may even break, your glass may break. So it is such so intense sound, that it will even make the glass and everything vibrate, but you don't hear anything. So these extreme poles always look alike. This also I cannot hear, that also I cannot hear, but there's an extreme pole. Similarly here, when one person is spiritually illumined, he may look like an inert object, but he's just the opposite pole. He's enjoying the tremendous bliss. That will be indicated again in the next sloka. So we will take up that sloka again in the next slide. So thank you all. Namaskar.